How's it going, everybody? Welcome to the Third Line Plug Sensecast. I am your host, Taylor Gibson. And this is Tim Jensey. This is going to be a very sad and somber episode this past week because we obviously heard the tragic news of Eric and Melinda Carlson, who lost their firstborn child, Axel, on March 19th. And honestly, I really don't know what to say here because this is a piece of news that has just shocked the hockey world. And especially with how the season has gone for the senators. I mean, this on top of it, I can't even imagine what Eric and Linda are going through. And honestly, it's just as someone who's never really had this sort of experience, it's almost impossible to empathize with. Uh, my heart goes out to the Carlson family. Absolutely. Yeah. Our thoughts and our thoughts and prayers go out to Eric, Melinda and the whole family my family has gone through the exact same thing what they're going through a couple of years before I was born. My parents had a child that was stillborn and talking to my dad about it years later, he still says that that's the moment that started the decline of their marriage. Yeah, that's rough. For sure, man. You know, and I really appreciated all of the, all the, all the prayers and all the thoughts and everybody who either Instagrammed or Facebooked or tweeted at Eric and Melinda. I mean, there's a few people out there who are pretty fucking heartless. But you know what? I think they're just the... the Sadly, they're just the minority, but the majority of everybody has really, really given their love and support to the Carlson family. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of amazing what happened what can happen in a community when it's someone's time of need. And I think that speaks well to hockey fans everywhere. Absolutely. So with that being said, Tim, we are going to take a quick break here on the third line plug Sensecast, And we will return to talk about our episode that we have to do to tonight. Hey, this is Adam from Welland, Ontario, Canada. And you're listening to the third line plug Sensecast. How's it going, everybody? Welcome to the Third Line Plug Sense Guest. I am your host, Taylor Gibson. Joining me, as always, from the tropical metropolis of Calgary, Alberta, my co-host, Tim Jancy. Tim, how's it going, sir? About as good as it can go. Uh, weather's actually turned for the turned for the right way here in Alberta. I was under the impression that Calgary got a bit of snow there this past week. We got a dusting, but nothing too much. No? Okay. No, and I'm definitely happy for that. Uh, I know I shouldn't say I'm done with winter living in uh, a place that's winter nine months out of the year, but here I am. <laughs> yeah, well, you know what? You guys are going to be there for the next four or five years, so you better better get used to it, Timo. Yep. So I just want to mention right now, later in the episode, if the audio does sort of crap out, I'm going to break a little bit of kayfabe for all your wrestling fans. Yeah, we've had a bit of a tough time trying to get this episode off the ground, Tim. 
Yeah, it's uh, this is take three. Yeah, this is take three. First take was audio issues. It was just me being a freaking dumbass and not switching the Skype preferences back. Second take, uh, we couldn't get the intro down, which you heard at the very beginning. And this is our third take. Yeah, but uh, third time's the charm, as they say. So let's go break a leg. Absolutely. Let's do Bobby, that, Tim. don't take this seriously. No, I'm not going to take this seriously, Tim. I'm not going to... I'm not going to... I'm... <laughs> That's a hand, not a leg. <laughs> do you ever think at this point, Bobby Ryan, it's going to be like that scene from Terminator 2 where fucking Arl just rips the skin off his hand and you see the metal or the robotic hand? Yeah. It's pretty much like that. <laughs> pretty much. I wish I could have found that gif on Twitter, but, you know, maybe I'll try that later on. Yeah, the only T2 gif you really see on Twitter is him sinking into the lava while doing the thumbs up. Yeah, which is good. Which is good. It's iconic. Absolutely. So let's get into it, Tim. Tim, how was your week, sir? Oh, it was pretty chill, honestly. Yeah, just doing some work stuff? Work's been slow uh, this past weekend. Uh can't really get into it too much right now, but I can pro- I'll can i probably be able to say more uh, in the coming weeks about that. Although, uh, yeah, this weekend it was just a nice stay-at-home weekend uh, before, I guess, next week we're... Well, this weekend we're going up to see Chelsea's grandparents in Edmonton for Easter. So we just stayed at home and we picked up the new Kirby game. Nice. How is that? It's stupid fun like most Kirby games. Okay. Uh, ch- challenge isn't too... There isn't a lo- it isn't too challenging. Uh, but yeah, it's just stupid. It's chaotic because there's usually four, like four players on the screen at once. So it's just people running around, breaking things, setting things on fire. Okay, so pretty much what you can do in Fortnite, except without the fire. Yeah, and it's 2D and adorable. That's good to hear, man. Let me talk. Let me tell you a little bit about my week because this past week. We are officially into spring break now, with the kids being gone, so it's been sort of a slow week. But I do have a few things I want to talk about. On Thursday, we did a function called Night of the Stars. It's a banking, mortgage sort of function where everybody comes in, and they do sort of like a theme night, right? Like, they come in doing, like, a pirate night or disco or whatever, right? Uh-huh. And so all these people come in, and it was pirate night, so they came in, and they're all liquored up and not getting super rowdy, but, you know, it was a good time, and never in my life have I, been, have I seen so many slutty pirates. Huh. And these are, like, banking and mortgage professionals? Yeah. Huh. I wonder, yeah. If the CMA, I wonder if CMHC had anyone there. I don't know. I mean, I know I saw a couple of Tinkerbells, a dude in a tutu, and a couple of slutty pirates, so... Oh, fun stuff. Oh, for sure. Friday, it was a cleaning day for me. This was my last official day until next Tuesday where I go back to work. Now, you obviously remember the photo that I sent you earlier this week. It was it was a little sad, uh, but uh, you'll have to describe it because you lived it. Yeah, so like I said, Friday was a cleaning day. So one of the jobs I had to do, I had to pull all the racks and everything out of the fridges clean the walls and clean the edges and all kinds of crap in there. Kind of a busy job, and it was like, took me a couple of hours to do it. So the one fridge we have on the servery line, we have two racks. We have a small green one, and we have this giant fucking gray one. 
that I absolutely hate because anytime you move it, fucking shit falls out of the back of it. Oh, it's just a pain in the ass. And so I'm pulling it out and I hear this and I'm like, oh, for fuck, oh, fuck's sakes, now what dropped? And I'm looking there and there was this big plastic container of honey mustard sauce. It fucking broke and just, just, oh God, it was awful. Just a big puddle of it. I'm like, no. So what you're saying was it was Colonel Mustard in the kitchen with a shelf? Pretty much, man. And you know, the funny part about it was I was listening to my, I had my iPhone on me and I was listening to the Steve Austin podcast and you know, I had one earphone in and my voice sort of got low. Like Steve, I was like, oh, for God damn, I can't fucking believe this shit. And I'm like, why am I talking like Steve Austin all of a sudden? <laughs> I just thought that was the funniest thing. I was just like, it's like, oh, I'm going to drop a couple of stoners on this motherfucker. You know, it's like, oh, okay. I don't know where that came from. So, you know. Okay. So later down that day, uh, I got to give a shout out to our bod Ridge because he invited me to come out. And I talked about this last week on the show. Mix up with the arena and everything for the drop in ho- the hockey. So I went out last Friday and I played hockey with him and it's a good time, man. Well, that's good to hear. Oh, for sure, man. For sure. Yeah, I'll definitely have to try and do that again uh, sometime in the fall if I get a, any time off. Yeah, or at the very least uh, look for a weekend league, beer league or something. Yeah, but even my schedule won't even really allow me to do that because I work Saturdays. But Oh, yeah. Yeah, so on Sunday, I did something I have never done ever in my life. I went to a trailer park wedding. What? Yeah, so a lady I work with, she got married on Sunday. Now, she lives at a trailer park in Duncan, and so uh-huh. they were doing the reception there. Not, you know, not as greasy as I would have thought. No hair metal. I was very disappointed about that, so there's no Helix heavy metal love. Oh, I know. Uh, no meth either. It was fucking terrible. But it was it was funny. The reception in the clubhouse that they did it in, they had like a stack of VHSs with this flat screen TV. And underneath all the VHSs was like a 34, no, 36 pack of Budweiser. And I'm just looking at it around like, this fucking group knows how to party. Jesus Christ. But VHS? I know, right? I haven't seen a VHS like a VHS player in at least seven years. Honestly, you know what's funny? Best Buy still sells them. Real? Yeah, I guess the tapes still exist. They and do. it was pretty ubiquitous at some point. I know. Maybe the hipsters are bringing it back to him. I don't know, because at least vinyl, you get... you. There is an argument for quality. That's true, but you know, the argument can be made the other way of how it sounds. You could make all those sounds on a MIDI plugin for either GarageBand or Pro Tools or whatever you're recording on. You could, you have the plugins to create those sounds through an MP3 file. Yeah. And on the and at the same time, when you look at the way that uh, sampling works, uh, once you get past a certain point, you can't tell the difference anyway. Uh, so you, that's why you could have a, a quote-unquote lossless format on a computer. Because mm-hmm. it's just sampled so much that it doesn't matter that it's discrete anymore because you've got just such a small gap where you can read in the sample. Absolutely. And then to top off my week on actually this morning, I went up to Nanaimo to play drop in hockey. 
scored a, scored my first goal. Nice. Like legit. Like I didn't wait till the goalie left. I actually scored on him. Hey, all right. Yeah, that's what How happens when I wear my Eric Carlson jersey. Nice. Yeah, one goal and one assist. I was super proud of myself. How many goals against? That's not the point. Uh, let's go on. <laughs> well, Tim, now that we got our week out of the way, we got to do a two-banger. Did you listen to last week's episode? And did you listen to the interview we did with Adam Young? I was more interested in the interview than the episode itself. But yeah. uh, So I didn't get quite the chance to listen to the episode to check audio quality, but I think the interview actually went a lot better than I was expecting. Yeah, and you know what's funny, Tim, is that interview, there was absolutely no editing there. Really? Yeah, zero editing was done. I think there was probably one part in the episode where I could have I could have shortened it a tiny bit, but you know what, that's such a small thing that I'm just like, you know, I'm not even really going to worry about it because I was super happy and proud how the episode turned out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, like, I thought, uh, like, even Adam's kid wasn't as distracting as I thought it was going to be during the episode. No, and I actually found out after that interview that Adam's wife, big fan of yours. Really? Yep, thinks you're hilarious. Huh, why? <laughs> I don't know. Maybe it's your dry sense of humor, Tim, I don't know. I don't know, uh, if it's anything like Chelsea, she'll learn that it wears that vin shiny veneer wears off quickly. Yeah, well, you know what? Adam's wife's not married to you, Tim. Let's not <laughs> let's not forget that. <laughs> Fair enough. Well, Tim, let's segue into this little segment I like to call Top of the Hour. Nice. So we actually got a fully loaded Top of the Hour here this week. It's actually uh, kind of nice to know. So our first story, now, before we get into it, now... Without giving any details to the listeners, would you have any idea who this individual is? No, it, it's kind of a shame. It is. So, everybody knows that in sports, you know, you know the names of Willie O'Ree and Jackie Robertson and all these athletes who broke down the color barrier for athletes to play professional baseball, hockey, whatever... This individual actually did it almost a year before Jackie Robertson did it for baseball, and this guy did it for hockey. Former New York Rangers forward Larry Kwan passed away at age 94 in Calgary. Kwan, who passed away on March 15th, so we could have included that for last week's episode, but I didn't know about it until this past week. He was the first player of Asian ancestry to play in the NHL. Kwan was the first player to also break down hockey's color barrier when he played a one-minute shift for the New York Rangers on March 13th, 1948 against the Montreal Canadiens. That's really cool. But I guess it's it's a little interesting that just the fact that he was one of the first players to break down the color barrier, period, and we don't know about it. I wonder if it has something to do with the fact that he was Asian and not African-American. That's a good point. The only reason I know about him is because I remember CBC did the documentary Hockey, A People's History, and they talked about Larry Kwan in the documentary. That's how I knew about him. So when I heard him when he had died, I was thinking, oh, Larry Kwan. I remember hearing about him in that Hockey's Hockey, A People's History. I should actually watch that. That's an excellent documentary. Actually, it's on YouTube. I'll send you the links for him. Mm -hmm. Excellent documentary. I highly recommend anybody... 
who's interested to check it out. It is a little dated now because it's, it came out in 2006. Kind of think of it like a Ken Burns baseball sort of documentary. Okay, and not the Simpsons episode based on the documentary. No. Strawberry? Yeah. <laughs> Daryl. Daryl. Ah, uh, but yeah, that's... It's in. It's definitely an interesting thing. The CBC does make really good documentaries, though, so... For sure. Yeah, and they actually do it. a lot of good TV movies, too. They did the Don Cherry one. They did the one on Gordie Howe, which I... I'll be the first to admit I wasn't really a huge fan of, but interesting nonetheless. Mm-hmm. Let's go into our next story, Tim. Former Florida Panthers owner Wayne Huizinga passed away at age 80. Huizinga, this guy's very fascinating uh, researching him for this show. He was the creator of Waste Management Inc. and Blockbuster Entertainment. Damn. Yeah. Like, both of the, like, uh, Waste Management is still, like, the top of its field, and back in the day, Blockbuster was the top of its field as well. So, uh, Huizinga definitely knew what he was doing when he was stru- creating, structuring, and running companies. For sure. Huizinga began building his South Florida sports empire in 1990 with his purchase of the NFL's Miami Dolphins, as well as founding two expansion sports teams, the National Hockey League's Florida Panthers and Major League Baseball's Florida-slash-Miami Marlins. Now, this is... I kind of knew about this part. His brother-in-law apparently attempted to buy the NBA's Miami Heat in 1994, but was unsuccessful. Huh. Although, I guess I'd be a little terrified if, like, all the sports teams were owned by one dude. Yeah, but, I mean, Heisinga doesn't own any of these teams anymore. Uh, I know he... I believe he sold the Marlins... A year or two after their first World Series, which was I think was in ninety eight or ninety nine, he sold the Panthers. Oh, god, over 10, 10, 15 years ago, the Dolphins. I think he sold that about ten years ago as well. And I was actually listening to Hollywood Babylon, which is Kevin Smith's podcast. Talking, they were talking about Heisinga, and he says that apparently he sold Blockbuster to Viacom in nineteen ninety four for like four. I think it was like eight point four billion dollars. Dude knows when to get out. God damn. Yeah. Like, notice how he picked, like, peak value for each of these freaking assets. Yeah, the guy's smart, man. The guy knew what he was doing. Yeah. God damn, I wish, like, I wish he was teaching my business classes. Well, he can't now because he's dead. Yeah, no kidding. Let's go to our next story. Now, this is a story we talked about here on Top of the Hour a few months back. NHL and NBC broadcaster Eddie Olchek announced on the air that he is now cancer-free. That's awesome. Oh, for sure, man. And I can't remember what episode we talked about it, but I do recall that we discussed it because we're like, well, this is really sad, and hopefully he can come through it. And it looks like he's come through it very well. Yeah. I guess it just goes to show if you get if you detect it early or not get it early enough, you can nip it in the butt. Absolutely. Now this is something that really piqued my interest this past week. A game between, excuse me, Yorkerit of the Finnish league and CSKA Moscow. A game between those two teams became the longest game in KHL history. The game went to five overtimes with Jokerit winning it three to two in overtime. Now, this is very interesting. Jokerit's goalie, Kari Ramo, made 83 saves in that game. 
Jesus Christ. And actually, like, one of the players we're going to be talking about here coming up was actually in this game. Huh. And but, apparently uh, that delayed his um, debut in the NHL. Oh, wow. But, uh, yeah, it was interesting because Kari Ramo, like, uh, the Calgary organization was actually pretty high on him for a while. So was Tampa. Yeah, and you could de- if you're able to post an 83-save game on 85 shots, that's pretty freaking nuts. Yeah, I remember Ron Tugnut when he was with the Quebec Nordiques did something like that against the Boston Bruins, and the Bruins fans gave him a standing ovation. Yeah, which is pretty much unheard of. For sure, man. So we got four college signings that we have to talk about, starting with the Boston Bruins signed Ryan Donato to a two-year entry-level contract. Donato had 26 goals, 17 assists for 43 points in 29 games this season for Harvard. That's that's pretty that's pretty good numbers for uh, NCAA. Yeah, uh, those are numbers you generally don't see in the college. Yeah, and uh, what'll be interesting to see is how well he adapts to eighty-two games. For sure, maybe they'll do what Ottawa's doing with Colin White and put him in the minors for a season. Yeah, not a bad idea. For sure. Although that means he'd have to go live in Providence, and I hear the chowder's just not as good. Well, you know what, Tim? No chowder is going to be better than Boston, but you know what? Sometimes you got to do what you got to do. Oh, for sure. The Edmonton Oilers acquired the rights to prospect Cooper Marnery. I don't know if I'm saying that right. From the Philadelphia Flyers in exchange for a 2019 third-round pick. Marnery had 47 points in 37 games for Michigan this past season. This is a this is a huge depth move for well this is a depth move for Edmonton and Edmonton has been just one of the worst teams at stalking their cupboard and drafting, so them giving up a like a mid round pick probably isn't that big of a loss of value for them because they can't do shit with them anyway. Fair enough. The National Predators signed Eli Tolavanen to an entry level contract. Tolavanen had 19 goals, 17 assists for 35 points in 49 games this season for Jokerit in the Finnish League. This is the player I was talking about a couple of stories ago with the KHL story. Yeah. Uh, I wonder, well, I guess, well, he's not eligible. Like, it'll be interesting to see where he fits into Nashville in the next few seasons because uh, that's a team that's just super super thick and deep wherever they need to be uh might be interesting to see what happens uh after the expansion draft for seattle absolutely for sure new york rangers signed michigan defenseman ryan lingren to an entry-level contract okay i don't know much about him well tim this is a gentleman i'm sure we are all very well known about at this point the ottawa senators have signed christian wallanen to a two-year entry-level contract, Wolanin had 12 goals, 23 assists for 35 points in 40 games for the University of North Dakota. Wolanin was the fourth-round pick by the Ottawa Senators in the 2015 draft, which also included players such as Tom Shabbat, Colin White, and Philip Shalapik. That 2015 draft is panning out pretty darn well. Yeah, this is the 2015 draft is really turning out to be a... One of the deepest drafts for the Ottawa Senators, player-wise. Mm-hmm. 
And uh, as we'll talk about in the next few episodes, Will Adam looks pretty natural already. Yeah, I thought he had a bit of a growing pain in the first game he had, but, you know, hope, I, I am excited about him because he does seem like a... He seemed like a pretty confident player out there, from what I saw, anyway. Yeah. And this is definitely the sort of drafting that Ottawa needed to keep the prospect pipeline going. For sure. And it is kind of fitting that that was Brian Murray's final draft as a Senator's general manager. Mm-hmm. And my understanding is that Pierre Dorian was heavily involved in this draft as well. Right. And uh, that suggests that Ottawa's prospects are going to be in good hands for a while yet. Well, until drafting. Yeah, until Melnick pisses them off and they all leave, but, you know. Yeah, and uh, G- like a GM with that, the sort, sort of drafting record that Dorian has will be attractive to any NHL front office. For sure. Now, Tim, at the time I sent you to Up of the Hour, that was the last story. However... We've got one more story to talk about. And this is one that has really picked up steam in the last couple of days. So, I just want to start off by saying that I do like Don Cherry. I do think he does make some really good and valid points about hockey and the safety of the players. And, you know, it's funny going back to watch those old coaches' corners from like 20 years ago. Where you listen to him... And you sort of think of it nowadays, and it's like, well, that's so irrelevant that it doesn't even make any sense. And the story that we had to talk about is Don Cherry apparently ripped the Ottawa Senators' fans and defended Eugene Melnick. He took issue with the Melnick out billboards. Uh, Cherry said on Coach's Corner this past week that Melnick is nuts for keeping the team in Ottawa and that he would sell out in Quebec City in a heartbeat. Now... This is where Don Cherry's comments are not only absolutely ludicrous, but they're... Factually inaccurate. Exactly, Tim. Because when he's talking about moving the Sens to Quebec City, well, okay, does Cherry not follow the news? Because when Melnick made those comments during the outdoor game, Bettman stepped in and says, well, you can't do that. This... The relocation has to be approved by the Board of Governors. And plus, with Seattle getting an expansion team here soon, Quebec City is the next city in line to get in the team. So that expansion fee that they'd have to pay is money shared among the teams. And to top that all off, like if Batman's willing to fight tooth and nail to keep uh, teams in Carolina, Phoenix, and other southern markets that haven't done well, and Ottawa's still pulling 5,000 5, more people a night, at least. Yeah, in a building that's not even in downtown. With a new building in downtown coming. Yeah, exactly. It's um, not happening. No, for sure. Uh, Cherry Don made Cherry comments. hates Ottawa. Uh, yada, yada. Well, then again, Probably. you know what's funny? I was watching an old coach's corner from like 1999. This is after Ottawa got knocked into the playoffs by Buffalo. And he was saying... Oh, look at Ottawa. Look how soft they are with all those Europeans. And he was saying it was absolutely nuts that the fans were criticizing Alexei Yashin. He says, I've never seen a fan base just tear their captain apart as badly as Ottawa did. And he says what Ottawa should do is rally around that, their captain. And I'm thinking, I'm thinking, hmm, that's funny. Because a few months later, 
Yashin ended up holding out for an entire season. Hmm. Yeah. I wonder why the Senators fans never rallied around Yashin. And that was also after the National Arts Center scandal. Mm-hmm. So the so few comments, sorry, Tim, the few comments I want to make here that Cherry made regarding Eugene Melnick, he says that Melnick has thrown millions of dollars into this team, and Cherry also said because of him, seven community arenas have been built in Ottawa, which is factually inaccurate because those community arenas were built by the Ottawa Senators Foundation, money which was donated by the fans that are the ones that supported the Melnick out billboards, and... As everybody knows, like, when Melnick bought the team in 2003 for $120 million, to this day, he's still financing that debt that he has incurred from that. Oh, for sure. And I think the really apt analogy here is uh, Bain Capital buying Toys R Us. I know, Toys R Us. Dis- I know, isn't that disappointing? Is still profitable. Sorry, I mean, it still generates more revenue than its uh, non-interest costs. And there was also speculation that Melnick was going to sell the team because in November, uh, I can't remember who it was. It was like Forms or one of these magazines. They valued the Ottawa Senators at $420 million. Yeah. Which for a Canadian team, like I think that has to be probably last out of the Canadian franchises. But that's still like still quite a nice, like a $300 million appreciation. Yeah, it was 420 yeah, so a $300, $300 million appreciation on his original investment. And that's even including the huge debt that he still has. He refinanced again. Like, yeah, interest is going to choke the choke the Ottawa Senators out. Oh, I know. It's ridiculous, man. But yeah, you know what? And I was thinking about this the other day. And I was like, you know, whoever buys this team still has to pay all of those debts off that... Eugene Melnick has put this team into. Yeah. Actually, did you see that uh, Bruce Firestone also came out in support of Melnick and he says he wasn't happy about those Melnick out billboards? Yeah. Like, I guess, like, like, I don't know. We could have been a lot, like, people could have been a lot worse. And I think Melnick out is a legitimate call given the inability to really put appropriate funds into the team for the last few years. Like this has been something that's been brewing for four or five years now. Actually, I would have said probably since, well, fuck, probably since after Heatley left, which is 20, 2009, I would say around probably 2010, 2011. That's when you really started to see the penny, penny pinching ways of Eugene Melnick. And I think it really was highlighted with Daniel Alfredson leaving. Oh, for sure. And it, it got 100% worse after the S- after he got pinged by the SEC and uh, BioVale got taken over by a va- Valiant. And Eugene Men- Melnick was out- ousted. Mm-hmm. So, like, Senators is all this guy has left, and he's going to white-knuckle it, and it's going to be brutal for the city and the fan base. Absolutely. Well, Tim, I guess that wraps up top of the hour for this episode. Let's Wait, go on to talk about... Comment, one last comment. Okay, go ahead. Cherry's comments summed up in one sentence. Old man yells at Cloud. That's yeah, that's fair enough. I mean, the guy is like 84, man. He's I think he's going to go the way of Bob Cole. I think he's just going to go until he dies. Yeah, and the CBC's going to let him. Pretty much, like, man. 
Yeah, I think it's best before date is passed. Mm-hmm. Well, Tim, let's go into the three games we're going to talk about. We've got the Panthers versus the Senators, Oilers versus the Sens, and the Hurricanes versus the Senators. But before we do that, let's hit the music. It's time to play the game. Time to play the game. <laughs> okay, Tim, let's get into talk about our first game of the evening. Panthers versus Senators. This is a 7-2 Panthers victory. Sens goals were scored by... No. No, no. Oh, God, no. Patrick Seeloff? What the fuck? I thought we buried him in the minors. He got called up, and uh, apparently... P Pierre Dorian and Bruce Garriott thought that he quote-unquote deserved it. No! And Marion Gabrick. Panthers scores are scored by Colton Savador, Jared McCann, Keith Yandel, Evgeny Dandenoff, Frank Vantro, Nick Bierstein, and Jamie McGinn. Shots were 39-35 for the Florida Panthers. Florida outplayed Ottawa in this game with their scoring chances and overall solid play. Ottawa, while their effort was there, was brutal defensively in this game, creating numerous defensive errors, including a number of turnovers that Florida took full advantage of. Yeah, and uh, the first thing to note about Ottawa's defense is the lack of the captain, Eric Carlson. That's the first comment I have here. I said this is the first game without Carlson after we received the news about what had happened to him and his wife, and you can tell... You can tell in this game just how deflating that was because the guys out there, even though like, they really tried to put their best foot forward, you can tell that they were missing their captain. Yeah, and they're missing their captain, and uh, the Cody CC thomas Shabbat line was not able to match up to Florida's top line, which was just keyed in all game. For sure. One note I do have to make, though, is that none of the goals on Ottawa were bad goals. They were all pretty pretty good goals for what I saw. Yeah, it was and for like the begin for the first period it was back and forth. That mm -hmm. second period they were just out of it. Yeah, yeah, you could just tell, right? And I mean, definitely their youth and inexperience on the defensive side of the of the puck really showed in this game. Yeah. And the weird thing was is like it was I felt like with the exception of a bad pinch by Shabbat when the game was pretty much all already over, the defense, it wasn't like they were making bad decisions. They were just outmatched. Yeah. That Harper seal offline was just dog shit, though. Honestly, I turned it off after it got 7-2. I was like, nope, done. Do you want to talk the seal off goal? Uh, it was weird, dude. Yeah, yeah, that was a weird one. That was very much a pinball sort of shot, like, he shot it, and it went, what was it, off the side of the net, off the backboards, off the goalie off and in or something? And it's funny because Patrick Sealoff does hold an NHL record of the most goals with the most teams in the least amount of games played. Yep, two for two. Two for two on two teams. And his goal, his goal in Cal his only other appearance in Calgary was equally dumb. Yeah, yeah. from what I understand, it wasn't a very good game when he had played in Calgary. No. Although I do have to say that he wasn't Ottawa's worst defenseman. No, and that's saying a lot, man. Especially with some of the guys that we have on the defensive end. Yeah, like I think Harper and Boro played a far worse game. 
Actually, I do want to talk a little bit about Borvieski because Borvo has said in the media that he's not dropping his gloves after a hit. And, and I can't remember who in that game he hit. And Michael Haley went after him and he just went, no, I'm not dropping my gloves, man. Like, I'm not yeah, being suckered in. Yeah, and uh, Boro ended up drawing the penalty. Yeah, maybe maybe that's what he's been. He should have been doing from the beginning of the season. Yeah, but uh, well, I think that concussion was a wake up call for him. Yeah, and I mean, you know what? There's only so many hits to the head you can take before it really starts to affect you. Yeah, no kidding. Yeah, I thought Boro, like, he was getting killed on the shot clock, but otherwise wasn't terrible. Right. Uh, but yeah, I didn't really pay much attention to that game. So do you want to go on to our next game, Tim? Uh, oh, this one's worse. Okay. <laughs> Oilers versus Senators. This is a 6-2 Oilers victory. Sens goals are scored by Matt Duchesne and Philip Shalapik getting his first NHL goal. Oilers goals are scored by Connor McDavid with two, Drake Cragula with two, Ryan Nutra-Hopkins and Ty Ratty. Shots were 38-35 for the Edmonton Oilers. Edmonton outplayed Ottawa in this game, especially in the third period. Ottawa, for the most part, didn't have a terrible game. However, it was their defensive play that once again cost them in the end. I'm going to stop you right there, though. You said that Edmonton outplayed Ottawa. In all reality, Connor McDavid outplayed Ottawa. Fair enough, fair enough. Like, most of my notes are just like... uh can't stop, won't stop, for what Edmonton, holy fuck, who told McDavid about Kucherov's point? Can't stop, like, Jesus Christ, McDavid won't stop. <laughs> that should have, should have been pretty much your whole note right there. Yeah. Like, it was definitely a hard game to watch, uh, but yeah, it was, Ottawa just wasn't in it early on, and uh, on the mark about Ottawa's defense just getting torn apart, case in point, for every game, uh, I often use the hockey biz uh, charts for looking at how shots were rel- between the two teams relative to uh, where they are in the scoreboard. And normally the shot attempts chart goes from like about 5 to 30 for each player. Right. Uh, for and against. Cody Cece, uh, he came down at about 35. I asked Mika if, his, if the the scale usually goes that far down. He said no. Cody Cece got absolutely destroyed this game. It's terrible, man. Yeah, and it's funny because, like, all the other players are, like, bunched up around 15. Right. Then there's Thomas Shabbat a bit further down at 25. And then there's this huge gap, Cody Cece. I do want I do have one to note, though, that Ottawa, you know what? I felt... Their effort was there. Once again, their defensive play wasn't was not there. But the one guy I do want to talk about is Christian Wallanen. Because this was the first game with the Senators, and he looked decent from what I saw in that game. He didn't have the greatest first period, but in the second period he looked like he was getting up in the rush and making some good plays out there. Yeah, and he ended up getting a point on the power play, which was uh pretty nice. Sorry, no, he ended up be being part of uh the unit that scored on the power play, which is pretty cool. And he played a cool 17 minutes, uh, more than Clayson and Harper, and he looked good doing it. Yeah, he's de- he's definitely a better defenseman than Ben Harper. And even last year, I was talking about Harper going, 
you know, he's a good defenseman, big guy, can move the puck, but this season I'm watching, like, is this the same guy I watched last season? Like, what the hell happened? Yeah, I don't know, man. Uh, what What's interesting about Willannon is just watching him skating with the puck. It's always, like, head up, always looking for options, and he's willing to move that thing around the ozone. And it's just really good to watch. Uh, Cody CC played 33 minutes. Yeah. Cody CC can't play 33 minutes. No, he's not Eric. That's Eric Carlson numbers, man. You cannot play Cody CC at that amount of numbers. I don't think you can. You can play very few defensemen at that mo- numbers at all. You could probably like put, I, on your one hand. You could probably count the amount of defensemen that can do that. Like it'd probably be like Carlson, Dowdy, Subban. Subban and may, not even Subban because the guy starts to lose his mind a bit. Yossi? Maybe Yossi. But then Nashville's so deep he doesn't have to. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, like Zidane Chara back in his heyday. Yeah, you could definitely do that. Yeah, but like it's not a lot of defensemen can do that, so I, I feel bad for Cody CC, but he got eaten alive. For sure. Now, do you have any more notes to make on this game, or should we head on to our third and final game in the evening? Oh, uh, so, do you want to talk discipline? Because what? we're praising Borvietsky for his discipline. I feel like we need we need to talk about Zach Smith's extreme lack of discipline. Okay. This is his second unsportsmanlike conduct goal sorry unsportsmanlike conduct penalty for john at the refs this year and he yeah got that's something that the coaches should really talk to him about if this is a second penalty like that of the season yeah and this came at the absolute worst time too because ottawa just gave up a power play goal and then he goes and puts ottawa right back in the box sorry right right back on the penalty kill yeah it's i don't know that's garbage Oh, for sure. Well, believe like, me, Tim, it didn't get any better from here, man. Yeah, and then uh, Borvietsky lost the skate blade again. Again? Yeah, they didn't even stop the play. Again. Wow. Like, do the refs just have it out for him or something? Probably. I mean, granted, I stopped watching the Edmonton game once again in the third period once Edmonton. I think they took like a 5-1 lead or something. I was just like, ugh. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Honestly, I just wanted to see what McDavid could do. Yeah. Yeah? Yeah, he's an exciting player, man. So let's head into our third and final game of the evening, Tim. Hurricanes versus Senators. This is a 5-2 Hurricanes victory. Senators goals are scored by Bobby Ryan and Thomas Shabbat. Hurricanes goals are scored by Philip DiGiuseppe. Brock McKinn, Noah Fanagan, Jeff Skinner, and Jordan Stahl. Shots were 36-24 Senators. An exciting game overall by both teams. Carolina had a really solid game on offense that was complemented by Cam Ward. Ottawa looked better defensively in this game, but it got worse as the game went on and really hit the fan in the third period. The one big note of this game, this is Eric Carlson's first game back, and he had a decent game with one assist. Yeah, and then... uh... Shabbat actually had a pretty nice goal as well. Oh, yes, he did. Um, the big, Some of the things that I was no, noting again is uh, Cody CC played 25 minutes. Cody CC probably can't play 25 minutes. And the CC Harper line, for the most part, was getting decimated. 
Uh, they did not play well against the McGinn-Stahl-Williams line, and it showed. You know, talking about Ottawa's defensive play, the notes I have is they were solid in the first period. You could tell it was getting a bit loose in the second, and it completely fell apart in the third period. Yeah, uh, you can def- definitely notice that. And then there was, like, periods in, like, like the beginning of the second where Ottawa was just getting dominated. Yeah. And then it smoothed out again, and then just kind of fell off in the third. Oh, for sure, man. And honestly, going into the third period, it looked like Ottawa even had a chance in this game. No, I think by the third period, you could just tell the team was just like, well, we pretty much lost this one. Yeah, and it's rough. Uh, Kristen Wolanin actually looked quite good again. Once again, I didn't really even notice him in this game, to be perfectly honest. Which, for a guy playing a second NHL game? Yeah, I'm trying to think. Was it this game or the Edmonton game where... No, I... No, I can't even remember which game it was now. Fuck. Um, no, it was the game that I felt in the second period he played really well in. Yeah, that was last game. But even this game, uh, in the first period, there was uh, probably the most sustained pressure I've seen by the Senators all season. It started with Willan and manning the line and then passing it off and then taking a... Like, manning the line keeping the puck in twice and then passing it off to Carlson before taking it before getting off the ice. And it was just good decision-making the whole way through. And, uh, yeah, it was like, uh, well, Lannan looked great. And he was actually on the right side of, uh, shots. Oh, that's good to hear, man. Yeah. He was at about 55%. That's not too bad, actually, for a second player game or second game player. Well, it's better than most of what the most of what the Ottawa, other Ottawa Senators defensemen could really muster. Uh, Cody Cece again was uh, down at that th- thirty shots shot attempts against range. Right. Uh, he was looking at about thirty eight percent. Sorry, thirty two percent shot attempts. So most of the time, when Cody Cece was on the ice, the puck was going the other way. Water is wet. Uh. Thomas Shabbat, last few games, has looked... I think he's been a little shaky. This game, I felt he was better. Yeah, I mean, that's definitely the growing pains of being a very young defenseman. And we've definitely... we've. I mean, we've talked about it here on the show about Shabbat. Some games, he looks absolutely unbelievable. And some games, you can definitely tell he's a 20-year-old defenseman. I guess my worry is that uh, they're trying to force him to play a defensive game that he's that his skill set isn't really built for, especially because he's being forced forced to be physical on that left side. Mm-hmm. And I'm worried that that's kind of wrecking his play a bit. So, Tim, because I don't it, have... Sorry, Tim, go ahead. Because the way that Guy likes his system, and you hear this all the time, is... And you can see this by the way he deploys his defensemen as well. Uh, on the left side, you have big guys like Harper, like Harper Fanuf, Borvietsky. And then he, he's slotting Shabbat on the left side. Yeah, but you know what? Shabbat's a left side shooter, though. Mm-hmm. And I'm worried that he's getting pigeonholed. He's getting pigeonholed because of his handedness, and they're trying. They're going to end up suppressing some of the offensive instinct by drilling him to be mediocre. Yeah, I really hope they don't do that with Shabbat. And that's probably one of the biggest reasons why I want... Uh, I really don't want Boucher back. 
No, but you know what? I know Dorian has said to the media that after the season's over, he's going to re-examine Boucher as a head coach for next season. Which I really hope is about as ringing of an endorsement as it sounds. Very much so. So do you have any more notes you want to talk about this game, or should we head to the close? Um... I didn't think Condon looked very good that game. Yeah, yeah, he looked a little shaky in that game. Yeah, and I guess the fact of the matter is what I don't think I like with the exception of maybe the Florida game, neither goaltender looked that great and when you let in 19 goals in 3 games, that's expected. Mhm. Yeah, I think this is just a week that the Sens kind of want to forget and to be honest, they're probably just going to play out the stretch. Yeah, pretty much, man. All right, Tim, let's head into the clues. First of all, guys, thank you so much for listening to Third Line Plug Sensecast. I hope you enjoy it because, believe me, Tim and I love recording them for you. You can find us on iTunes. Please listen, rate, and subscribe. We are on SoundCloud, soundcloud.com slash Sensecast. Because our bot Dave made the mention, we are on Google Play Music. You can find us on Twitter at Third Line Plug is our Twitter handle. Tim is at M901 Honey Badger, and I am at Great White Gipster, G R 8 W Y T E Gipster. If you want to shoot us an email to talk about the games of the week, you want to talk about scoring goals and dropping hockey, or you want to talk about slutty pirates, shoot us an email, Third Line Plug Sensecast at gmail.com. Okay, Tim, so let's talk about the games for next for this coming week. Monday in Carolina, Tuesday versus the New York Islanders, Thursday versus the Florida Panthers, and Saturday in Motown against the Red Wings. Three losses. Yeah, I can see that. Well, we might be able to beat the Wings. I'm not not holding my breath on that one. Yeah. Until next week, guys, this has been your host, Taylor Gibson. And this has been Tim Jensen. Go Sands, guys. My time here is up. They're going home!